salespeople that even make low six figures that have met such massive egos that they never are able to learn more advanced skills and training that would double and triple or quadruple that income. Jeremy Miner, welcome to the Man of War podcast, brother. It's an honor to have you on. And uh, I hear you're one of the best out there when it comes to sales. And that's why you are here, right here and right now. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the the intro and the and the nice words. My kids say I'm pretty boring, so I'm going to take that as a compliment. Very, very kind. <laughs> hey, let's start with you're a young guy. I mean, for the most part, I mean, sure. Uh, it's it's when you think of seasoned veterans out there when it comes to yeah. sales, and you know, you're looking usually in the guys that are in their 60s, 70s. You know, old school mentality of sales. Mm. So. Uh, talk to me about how you got into this world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I will tell you, like, I'm, I'm really nothing special. I know the intro you, you, you talk about a, one of the highest paid salespeople on planet Earth, which is true. It was, you know, it was a great honor that I got by the Direct Selling Association. However, it didn't start that way. So when, I think one thing, like when I'm on podcasts or when I'm at events or anything and people look at you like, oh my gosh, like, that guy made that much money as a salesperson. Like, how did he do it? He must have been born out of his mother's womb with some type of persuasion skills. But really, nothing can be further from the truth. No one is born knowing how to persuade. No one is born knowing what questions to ask at the right time with the right tonality to influence an audience or to influence somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Those are all acquired skills. So I was never born with any of that. In fact, you know, if, uh, you know, I was I was at an event um, probably about a month ago. It was a virtual event, and they had me share my screen and like show me where I was born. It was a freaking trailer park in Arkansas. Okay, I can guarantee you that I was not trained by my parents. I was not trained by any of my school teachers how to persuade and influence. These are things that I simply learned from other people that have those skills. Now I might have refined those and made those better or whatever. But those things I learned. So if you're asking me, like, how did I start? I wasn't born with those type of skills. I just learned those skills. And I got into, you know, I won't go too much into my background. But what I'll do is I'll share with you a little bit of my background, because I, I think my background relates to what is necessary to really take your income. If you're a salesperson listening, or if you're a business owner, or if you're somebody that wants to influence or persuade, I mean, heck, you can even be an attorney who's trying to convince the judge that your client's innocent or a politician who's trying to get people to vote for you. That's all persuasion. That's all influence. But I got into sales as a really young guy about 20 years ago in college, broke college student. I got my first job selling uh, home security systems door to door. Okay. And the company pretty much hired everybody that came to the recruiting meeting because you're paid straight commission. There's no risk on their part. They just dump you off took us out in a van after a couple of weeks of training, gave us a script, you know, to memorize and some old school books that you were talking about, dropped us off in a not so safe neighborhood and basically said, Hey, go, you know, go make some sales. It's going to be easy. You're going to do great. We'll pick you up tonight after 10. And I literally, I remember this is 20 years ago. I'm like a 20 year old or 21 year old kid at this point, no experience. And I'm like, well, this is going to be easy because that's what everybody in the office told me. But very quickly, I started to talk to the prospects as they opened the door. And I started talking about the features and the benefits of the product and how much it was going to help them and all this great stuff that I learned from the gurus. 
But I noticed when I did that, I started getting all of these objections like very, very quickly, like resistance within the first 10 seconds. We can't afford it. We don't need it. Your price is too high. I need to talk to my spouse, my accountant, my uncle John who lives in a van down by the river. You know, can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? And I quickly pretty much found out that selling was not going to be easy. Now, at that point, I didn't know that you had to learn skills. I just thought you had to memorize the script and read a couple of books and you were good. And I remember, I would say probably about eight weeks into that of like all that rejection, all that objections. I remember sitting down on the curve one night waiting for the manager to pick me up in the van. Did you, did you ever get into door-to-door sales yourself? Uh, a little bit at the beginning. Yep. Okay. A little bit. Amway so if, and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. If anybody's ever done door-to-door sales, it's like the van that drives everybody out and drops them off in neighborhoods right. and then picks them up. So they make sure that, that you work because you have nowhere else to go. Okay. <laughs> so after about 12 hours sitting there on a curb and I remember like how exhausted I felt, like the sweat just it's the middle of the summer, like rolling down my back with all yeah. the humidity. And I didn't make a sale that whole day, 12 hours of work, no sales that whole week, made zero sales. So I made $0. I could have got a job at Wendy's and made 10 times more than that sure, week as a salesperson. Sure. So I got to a point where I thought, you know, I felt like, you know, I was like a failure. Like, how could I go home to my wife at the time? We had a one-year-old little girl and tell them we didn't even have the money to pay the rent in a few weeks. Okay, now I'm a 21-year-old kid, just barely married, have, have, a, ki- have a kid there, one-year-old, okay? And I remember like rubbing my feet on like the, the hot concrete, you know, completely <laughs> worn out, you know, if you can imagine that. And I, felt, I think I felt like broken as a man, if that makes sense. And I thought, you know, maybe selling, maybe selling just wasn't for me. And I remember that night uh, when my sales manager picked me up he popped in a Tony Robbins CD that completely changed my outlook and view on everything. And I'm not really a big personal, I, I love personal development, but it was just a random thing. Sales manager pops in this Tony Robbins CD and he said, and he said something like this, and I might be butchering what he said, but he said, most people fail for the simple reason they don't learn the right skills necessary to succeed. They don't learn the right skills. And he goes on to say that everybody's taught skills. We're all taught skills. But he said the people who fail are the ones who are not taught the right ones. And when I heard that, it was like a light bulb went off into my head that maybe, just maybe what the company was training me, what I was learning from what I now call the old sales gurus from these books, maybe they just weren't the right skills. You know, maybe they were just outdated and didn't work very well because I never really thought that could even be a possibility in my mind. And that's kind of how my story starts. And the reason why I tell you that story is if you can imagine a guy that eventually within about six years later was making multiple seven figures a year in straight commissions. That's how I started. I was a W-2 salesperson making that amount of money. But my first like six months, people in the office were making fun of me because I was the worst salesperson out of like 200 salespeople, 21 years old, not making any money, didn't have the right skills. All it takes is the right skills. And then once you learn those, you can really go anywhere you want to. Love it. So let's dig a little bit in here. We're talking about old school sales. All right. And, you know, I came up on wall street uh, and I was a broker for over a decade. And, during the nineties, when I was coming up, I mean, I came up in, in a boiler room, uh, pressure sales, uh, 
Sure. Um, but, but I will say I accredit that to a tremendous amount of internal fortitude and perseverance um, yeah. uh, in my life. I mean, it developed me in ways that, boy, uh, I got to tell you, when they were kicking chairs from under me and saying, stand up, don't you talk to the client or, you know, talk to a, a you know, possible uh, client uh, sitting down, mm. uh, you need to be talking when you're standing up. Mm. And uh, but regardless, the point was that it was a very hardcore, pushy type of you know, sales process. Sure. Now, there's men that I know that are that are big believers in that philosophy. You know, they believe that that's that's the their their claim to fame. That's the way to go. Um, mm. But um, I believe that there are different philosophies out there, mm. and I am open to learning all the time. So yes. what I want to talk to you here, I want to dive into that particular, the reason why you are different than the high pressure salesman um, across the street. Talk to me, give me differences, give me something that I could kind of sink my teeth into. Sure. I'm, I'm not saying, I mean, this, it would just come from my opinion if I did that, but I, what I can do is I can show you what behavioral science and human mm -hmm. psychology says that actually has data on the subject rather right. than me saying, Oh, it's this way. And you just got to believe sure. me. Here's what behavioral science, here's what human psychology says. So according to behavioral science, there are three forms of communication that we do as human beings to make decisions. Okay. This comes from neuroscience and human psychology. How does the brain work? How do human beings make decisions on something they want to do or don't want to do? How do, they, how do they become persuaded or not persuaded, okay? And there are three types of salespeople or like three eras of sales. So everybody wants to write this down. Era number one, that's kind of what you're talking about. Era number one is known more as like boiler room selling, okay? If you can think about it like Wolf on Wall Street. Now, Jordan Belfort, I've never met him. I'm supposed to be on his podcast later on. So I'm assuming that the movie where he's portrayed like that Maybe it's not that bad. I don't really know. It's probably exaggerated a little bit, so I'm not going to make any assumptions. But it's it's really known as boiler room selling. Push them, pressure them, manipulate them into doing something that you want them to do, okay? So I want you to think about like this. I'm going to give you a few examples, okay? So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them, posture them, or like I said, push them into doing something we want them to do. Just like if you tell your child, that's maybe a teenager or your spouse that you really need them to do something for you and then you push them to do it, what do they typically do back? They push back. That's just human behavior 101, okay? So we're all taught that you have to have a great presentation, that you have to you know, really have a great pitch about how great your product and your services really are. But according to the data, when they really go through the data, it's not very persuasive. And I'll, we, if we have more time, we'll go into why that is, okay? Typically, most people in a presentation spend about half of the time of their sales conversation presenting and talking about features and benefits. The most persuasive salespeople, guess how much time they spend on their presentation? Less than 10%. And we'll go on why that is. Telling your story. I hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story if you're selling one-to-one. -one. Whose story do they really care about? They care about their story, right? Yes. What about giving a sales pitch? We've all been told that you have to give a great pitch, but according to the science, not very persuasive. Look at like, let me give you an example. Look at Shark Tank. You ever watch Shark Tank? Sure. Damon John, uh, Mark Cuban, Barbara, you know, everybody on there. 
when the entrepreneurs come out there and they start pitching, have you ever noticed the body language and the facial expressions on the sharks when they do that? They get turned off automatically, okay? Mm -hmm. A pitch automatically gets our guard up and causes the great wall of resistance to happen. And then you have to try to overcome that resistance. Why not start this conversation where there's no resistance, where you disarm the prospect, where they become open to what you're offering? Much easier to sell. Now, here's the big one, assuming the sale. Everybody's taught that you have to assume the sale. Now, if you're selling $5 magazines, that's one thing. But if you're selling high-end products that are at least 1,000 or 5 or 10 or 100 or a million or 10 million, more complex selling environment, according to the data, very low on the persuasive pull. So that's error one type of selling, okay? And so typically prospects actually, when we say like, hey, just trust me, or we have the best this, or we have the best that, Typically, when we say things like that, guess what happens in their mind? It triggers them to actually trust you less because every salesperson that's ever tried to sell them something is doing what? Saying the exact same thing. So it goes in one ear and out the other, okay? That's error one type of selling. Any questions on that one? No, good, squared away. Okay. So error two type of sales, uh, sales that came out, this was in the 90s from a book called Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. He was a college professor that that did all this data and followed like thousands of salespeople around this and the thousands of sales calls, really good. And that's known as consultative selling. Like I said, came out in like probably actually late eighties, early nineties. And it mm -hmm. talked about how we have to ask questions, logical based questions to find the needs of the, the customer. Like what are their actual needs? Okay, consultative selling. But what's a potential downfall of this approach when you only ask logical based questions? Well, they give you logical-based answers in return. And do human beings buy on logic or emotion? Emotion. 100% emotion. Brain studies prove that. So once again, it's more persuasive than pitching them, pushing them, trying to manipulate them into doing something you want them to do. Mm -hmm. But you're still having to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by simply asking logical-based questions. So <laughs> some of you on here might have been taught how to ask questions like, Hey, John, uh, what's keeping you awake at night? Don't ask that, okay? Everybody's been asked that, especially in B2B sales. It triggers resistance automatically. Your prospects will shut down. You know, what about this question? Who besides you would be involved in this decision? Boring, surface level, don't ask that. What are you looking for in a solution? Too vague, boring, surface level. What sort of budget do you have set aside? Those type of questions, consultative questions are only surface level and you're never going to bring out enough emotion for that person to actually trigger them to build urgency for them to want to actually change their situation. So that's error two type of sales. Now, error three type of sales, according to behavioral science, were the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves. Now, that's called dialogue when we ask what we call neuroemotional persuasion questioning. So when I say NEPQ, that's what that means, neuroemotional persuasion questions. So the question is, how do you get others to persuade themselves? Is it, is it easy? Of course not. Do you just show up and say, hey, uh, just persuade yourself, and by the way, here's my wiring directions to wire the funds. No, you have to learn specific skilled questions when and how to ask those questions in a step-by-step -step structure with the right delivery, the right tonality that gets your prospects to want to engage with you, to want to open up with you and eventually persuade themselves that they want to change their situation.
So those are the three areas. Now, when we go to events and we train salespeople, we train companies, whether it's virtual or live, when we survey the audiences, you're going to be shocked at this. We ask them, how many of you are an air one type of sales salesmanship, boiler room selling, you know, push them, you know, just all this kind of crazy stuff, manipulate them, assuming the sale, 72%, 72, 73% typically, and it doesn't matter any industry wow. we're training, typically raise their hand. They've never really even thought about it. 72% least persuasive way to sell. Okay. Now it might've worked 30, 40 years ago, but our times are completely different. We can cover that in a minute. The second era of sales, consultative selling, when we ask people like kind of where you're at, it's about 27, 28%. Okay. Asking logical based questions. The third way to sell, getting people to persuade themselves as a new concept, less than 1% actually raise their hands. And that's shocking when behavioral science and human psychology, you would think every company would want their salespeople to learn how the buyer makes decisions. Like what's the science behind a buyer making a decision, not just showing up and winging it and then hoping and praying that the person's magic is going to want to buy because you say something that's going to trigger them to want to do that. That's a very hard and unpredictable way to make a living. Wow. So there's some deep stuff there. So here and there. The so the higher the ticket, the higher the price of the item. Yeah, I'm I'm in 100 agreement agreement with you. Where uh, you know we have a, a sales force here, and mm. uh, you know the focus obviously is to connect with the uh, the client or the candidate. Yeah. Um, to really get you know connect with them in, in a way that is you know way different than just trying to sell something because that, that's sure. not really what we're here to do. But mm. when we when you talk about the higher the ticket, you know, and mm. the higher you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand uh, dollar, whether it's they're buying a, a package or, or sure. training or whatever coaching, do you feel that from a sales perspective? Um, when you approach a sale like that and you start talking about the client, uh, they have to motivate themselves and, and inspire themselves and kind of sell it to themselves almost. Is that, is that what I'm well, understanding? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, in a sense, right. You, mm -hmm. but you have to know how to do that. You, you can't just show up and ask a few questions and just hope and pray that they're going to figure right. out how to do that. There has to be a process. There has to be the right delivery, like all selling is when you boil down what selling really is, mm -hmm. it's change. That's all selling is, is change. It's about how good you are at helping the prospect see in their mind and feel in their gut mm -hmm. that changing their situation, purchasing what you're offering to get them where they want to be is far less riskier than them doing nothing at all, staying in the status quo and their problems are never solved, which is more risky. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. Human beings, for the most part, don't like change, even though they say they do, okay? Mm -hmm. According to behavioral science, most human beings, and I actually wrote down some notes here because I don't want to forget this for you. So according to behavioral science, most human beings value tradition, consistency, and something that is familiar over something that they would much rather have or over something that is newer to them or foreign to them or they don't understand. That's a massive problem if we don't know the right questions that work with human behavior that cause them to see that solving their problem 
their objectives. Paying for your offering to get them there is far less riskier than them doing nothing at all and nothing ever changes for them. Once you learn those skills, it doesn't matter what you sell. You can go from industry to industry and you're going to be the number one salesperson within a month or two. It does not matter. It's a major difference. So let's talk about <clears throat> the structure of, yeah. of a sales call. And you know, you talk about these questions and, mm -hmm. I, and I, and I understand that they're, they're specific questions that yeah. you open. What's your take on closed ended versus open end ended questions? In what uh, what's, what's the philosophy behind it? I mean, you, you, I, I, what you're giving me here is almost like you're, you want to paint a picture for, for the client or the, yeah. you know, the prospect and yeah. make sure that they understand that by them not taking action right here yeah. and right now, the yeah. risk far outweighs the sure. ultimate goal. Now we can't tell them that. Right. Because it's going to go in one ear out the other because that's coming from us. Mm -hmm. But we have to ask the right questions that allow them to do what? Tell themselves that. Right. Give me, now, give me, a, give me a question. Throw me, yeah, throw I'll, a question out there for me. So yeah. So hold, hold on. What are you going to do if nothing changes though? And if you still have this problem in three, six or 12 months from now, now mm -hmm. I'd be more specific depending right, on what right, industry right. that was. That's just a generic version. Mm -hmm. That's called a consequence question. Now, going back, because I want to answer your first question, mm -hmm. how I feel about closed-ended or open-ended, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm open to either of those. There's a myth from the gurus that you never want to ask a closed-ended question because they might tell you something that you don't want to hear. Well, I hate to tell you, you don't have control of that sale. They have the control, especially with the power of the internet and social media. They know everything about you most of the time before you even call them, okay? If you've got a booked appointment, they know your price points. They know how long you've been in business. They know who your competitors are. They know where your corporate headquarters are. They know you're writing with the Better Business Bureau. They can do all that by simply typing in it on their phone in five seconds. So because of that newfound power, the consumer of our day will no longer be manipulated by pushy, pressury salespeople because they know they have many choices to choose the exact product or service that you have. That's why a lot of these techniques that I hear from these gurus, when they were selling back in the 70s and 80s, I'm like, they obviously don't sell now because they would get crushed using that. Consumers are completely different. Now, there might be a few things they can use, okay? But as far as like, I'm okay if I ask a closed-ended question and they say no, because now I know the truth. Now I know how they feel and I know how to adjust my questioning to get them back on board with where I want to take them to go. If I just mm -hmm. kind of fluff it and don't ask, and I just ask open-ended question, I never really discover what's really going on. And so at the end of the conversation, guess what happens? I get a lot of objections. And the more objections you get, the less likely they are to buy. It is a freaking myth. When sales trainers say, the more objections you get, the better it is. It shows that they're more interested. Nothing could be further from the truth because think about all the sales you had where there were no objections and how easy those sales were. Makes no sense. The more objections you get, that means the prospect feels that it's far more riskier to purchase what you're offering than doing nothing at all and staying in the status quo because they don't really realize they have that bad of a problem because your questioning skills never allowed them to see how bad their problems really were. That's a major difference. So closed-ended, open-ended, completely fine with it. Now, when we talk about sales process, so in our sales training, okay, 
It's a series of questions. Now, these aren't just any questions that you make up randomly because that's just winging it, okay? We want to start off asking connecting questions. Connecting questions take the focus off you and puts it on the prospect, okay? We want to then ask situation questions. What is their present situation? Like, what, what do they have now? What are they using now to solve their problems? What do they have? What do they use? Depending on your industry. Situation questions help you and them find out what their current situation really is. Very simple stuff. We then move into problem awareness questions. It's like a factory, okay? Problem awareness questions. What problems do they have, if any? What are the root cause of those problems? Because most salespeople don't even know how to ask that or find out what the root cause of the problem is. And then most importantly, how is the problem even affecting them? How's it impacting them? What's behind the problem? Most pro you can, any salesperson, an average salesperson can find out what a prospect's problems are, but the greatest of all salespeople find out what's behind the problems and how the problems are affecting them as an organization or an individual, okay? Because one thing we have to realize, most of your prospects don't even realize they have a problem, even if they request information from you or book on your calendar, okay? Or maybe they realize they do have a problem, but they don't really know how bad the problem really is. Or maybe they know they have a problem, but they don't know the consequences or the ramifications of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving it. Or maybe through your questioning skills, if you learn those, you're able to help them find not just one problem, but two problems or three or four or five problems. They didn't even know they had 15 minutes before they talked to you. And in their mind, when you help them find all these other problems, they didn't even know they had, what do you think they start to view you as? The expert the trusted authority, okay? And it doesn't matter what you charge at that point because they will gladly pay more if they feel that you can get them where they want to be compared to somebody else that they don't know if they can, okay? Those are problem awareness questions. Then we're gonna move into solution awareness questions. We're gonna find out what does their future, we call that their objective state look like once the problems are solved that they just said they had. Because here's their current state that we call it. Here's where they want to be. That's where they call what we call the objective state. Now, what's the gap in the between? It's all these problems that your questioning skills have helped them visualize and see in their mind that they didn't even know they had before. Okay. Now, if they can get the funding for what you're offering, they get what they want. If they can't get the funding for what you're offering, they don't get what they want. And that's how you get them to think results-based thinking rather than price or cost-based thinking. Those are solution awareness questions. Then once we help them see, here's my problems, problem awareness. Here's where I want to be and here's how it's gonna be different for me. And they tell themselves how it's gonna be different and their life's gonna be different. And their organization's gonna be different through solution awareness questions. We then rip it out from them with the consequence question like I just gave you. But hold on, what are the ramifications if nothing happens with this over the next six to 12 months? Or what are you gonna do if nothing changes and if you keep using the same vendor over the next 12 months, okay? We rip out that objective state they said they wanted to be with the consequence question and it helps them defend why they have to change. Oh, no, 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 we're gonna do something about this. That's what you want. When they start defending with you their situation of why they have to change their situation and do it now, guess what happens? You don't get many people at the end that say, I want to think it over because they've just told themselves why they have to do it now, not you telling them why they should do it now. It's a massive difference. Then we're going to transition into our presentation 
and we're gonna feed back what they said they wanted, the problems they had, what they said they wanted, how our individual part of our product or service or whatever we offer is gonna solve those problems to get them where they want to go. And then we're simply gonna ask a few commitment questions that gets them to commit to take the next step to purchase what we're offering. Now, let me clarify that. If it's a one or two call close, depending on what you sell or industry, that's how that structure would work. Now, if it's a more B2B complex selling environment, because we train all sorts of companies, industries, doesn't really matter. We're asking commitment questions at the end of that first call to get them to take smaller commitments that eventually lead to the large commitment of purchase what we're offering. Maybe the smaller commitment is to have a second call demo where we go over X, Y, and Z. Maybe the third call is a proposal where we go over how we're going to solve their problem. So it depends on your industry, but that's the step-by-step structure. And if you follow that structure, you know what questions to ask in those individual individual, uh, questioning sequences, you have predictable results. You have predictable income. That's why we can go like our largest client is Google AdWords. We trained four of their divisions. We got them a 244% increase in the first quarter when we first started training them two years ago. We can go all the way from Google advertising that sells like inbound and outward and outbound AdWords campaigns all the way to car companies. We train the largest car dealerships in all of North America and Canada. Massive. They are crushing it during COVID. All the way to life insurance, all the way to high ticket coaching, all the way to real estate agents, all the way to yacht salespeople or SaaS or cybersecurity, it doesn't matter. And we get the same type of results for all those industries because it's predictable sequence and process. It's not just winging it. Massive difference. I, I think I'm waffling. No, no, that's solid, solid across the board. So <clears throat> what I like that you said there, I mean, it's, there's a lot of information, which was excellent. Um, it, it's the fact that, you know, you, you have a, a three-step process and you kind of guide them and then you rip it from underneath them. And then you ask, yeah. you know, a kind of guiding question and, and you make them kind of, you know, stop for a second and you reevaluate where they're at. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's obvious that if I don't, <laughs> if I don't do this now, I'm, it's, I'm going to defeat myself basically, which is phenomenal. That's a, that's a great 100%. way of, 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 putting things into perspective. Can you use a lot of these techniques for leadership, like leading companies, for example, CEOs and men who are leading other individuals, managers, because it seems to me like a lot of this is not just from the sales perspective. You can use it to have communication with other individuals. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, and I, and I even, and I know you, you, I think you saw me on Bradley's uh, podcast. I think that's how you got introduced to me. And we Mm -hmm. were talking about this, you know, we were talking about, you know, persuasion and influence, really everybody in our day and age, I don't care what you do or do not do. Mm -hmm. Everybody is in sales. Everybody is trying to influence, persuade, or convince others. Let me give you an example. Like you just mentioned, if you're the CEO of a company, or an entrepreneur, and you're trying to get your team, your employees, your company to follow your vision, well, guess what you're doing? You're trying to influence, you're trying to persuade, you're trying to convince, you're trying to do what we call move others. If you're an employee who, on the flip side, who's trying to convince their boss to give you a pay raise, well, guess what you're doing? You're trying to persuade, influence, you're trying to move others. If you're, like I said, you're a teacher, 
who's trying to get your students to get better grades and actually do their homework. You're trying to persuade, you're trying to influence, you're trying to move others. If you're, we talked about politics, you know, I saw you on Newsmax. If you're a politician who's trying to get people to vote for you, you are definitely trying to persuade and move and convince others. So it doesn't matter what you do, whether you get paid a commission or anything, you're always out there trying to persuade, influence and move others. And persuasion, I have to say, is the number one skill set any individual in the world has to learn if they want to do anything great in their life. What are your thoughts on that? Oof, that's a big topic right there. You know, influence, in my opinion, is, I mean, it's what we live in. I mean, think about yeah. it. Everything that we do in our life is based on influence from your relationship yeah. with your kids to your family to, you know, employees yeah. across all facets, of course. Yeah. I mean, that is that's key. Well, it, it, it is, you know, and I'm a, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a church goer and, you know, all the way back from the beginning of time that we know of in our earth or, or whatever, from even the Bible, you know, and, and God talks about how in the beginning there was this great war in heaven. You know, I talked about this on a podcast recently. There was this great war in heaven and a third of the host of heaven, they went to war, right? And a third of the host of heaven was rejected. You know, that was Satan and his followers. And the other 70%, you know, I think came here. I think that's probably us, right? In human being form right now. But the, the thing is, is when people say there was a war in heaven, was it a war of guns? Was it a war of tanks? Were people stabbing each other with swords? No, it was a war of words. It was a war of information. It was a war of persuasion. And that's where everything comes from. You know, if you're, you got a, a, a parent or a, a friend or a family member who's, who maybe has cancer and you know of this treatment that can save their lives, but maybe somebody else is giving them different advice that you know is not going to work. Do you see how your persuasion skills can either persuade or influence yeah. them to save their life or not? Persuasion literally is the reason why countries go to war because they don't know how to communicate. You know, Stephen R. Covey, you know, great, uh, gr great uh, man who wrote a lot of books on influence and, and uh, uh, communication skills. You know, he talks about first seek to understand and then be understood. Everything in the world, both negative and positive, comes from how we know how to communicate or not how to communicate. That's why persuasion is so important. How important do you believe listening is during a sales presentation yeah. or discussion with other human beings yeah. or leading uh, from the front? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Well, you can't, you can't be a great person at persuasion if you can't listen to another point of view right? Because if you go into any negotiation or you're some type of government leader, you know, I might be writing for Newsmax on government leaders meeting with Russia and different things right now that we're working out. But I see these government workers and politicians and I'm like, good Lord, it's no wonder you can't get anything done. You know, when the president of the United States calls another leader a killer, and then two months later is at a summit trying to negotiate with them, well, do you, whether that's true or not, do you think that other leader is going to be wide open to what they're offering? No, they're going to be closed-minded and shut down because the other leader's calling them names. It is the worst persuasion I've ever seen. Politics, that's a whole nother story, okay? But you have to listen. You have to be present in a conversation. Let me give you an example of how most people do it. 
let's say that you're with a friend and you, you go to a restaurant to eat lunch and the friend's telling you about the relationship woes and all these problems. You know, you're telling them about all your problems you have with your spouse or just whatever you're doing, okay? And then as you're talking, a waiter or waitress walks by and the person you're talking to looks off at the waiter or waitress. How does that make you feel? That they're not present, that they really don't care about what you're saying, okay? So you have to be present in the conversation. There's little things you have to do when people are talking. You can't just sit there and be silent for three minutes. You have to say, uh-huh, ah, I see. Interesting. You know, those are called verbal pauses. We have to, there's little techniques we have to learn that show the person that we're open and we're engaging. When they see that we're open to their ideas and their viewpoints, we don't have to agree with them, okay? But when they see we are open, guess what they do? They become more open to our viewpoints, okay? So it all starts with effective listening, being present in the conversation, being accepting. And if we can do that with the right questions, a lot of times everything will go our way that we want it to, for sure. So listening is key number one. If you can't listen, you can't persuade. Love that, without a doubt. And, you know, as we dig deeper into this, you know, we talk about the mindset of individuals nowadays in our society um, that unfortunately they love to talk, but Mm -hmm. they don't do much listening. Uh, We see society just start trending in a way right now that it's just, you know, everything is just talking, (laughs) talking, talking, and they don't listen. They're not open enough to, to hear another person's point of view because their point of view is it. And that's it. It's over. Um, So we're shut down from that aspect. When we use some of the techniques that you are implementing into your program, into your way, um, what I like about it is that I think it can open up more dialogue for individuals to have a little bit more meaningful conversation and maybe to open up that ear. Um, I am 100% with you in, in agreement that, you know, we can lead someone you know, to a place where they can question themselves at that point and say, you know, is this really, if I don't take action now, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've defeated myself and here I am. And you've basically done a, a sales presentation in 10 or 15 minutes by just yeah. redirecting the conversation that way. That is yeah. huge. That is a, that is a big, uh, very powerful way uh, to, to, to lead a conversation. But I want to talk to you now about the mindset. Let's just go back a little bit, backtrack here into the business world again. Yeah. The mindset of a, of of a salesperson, the perseverance and the tenacity that a good Mm. salesperson has Mm -hmm. to have, uh, in this day and age. And really, I, I think always, but the fact that what I have seen is that, uh, people don't want to put in the time yeah. Um, to really learn and uh, to maybe hire individuals like you for training. Uh, sure. What's your take on that as far as a lot of individuals out there that are so, you know, so-called salespeople, but have yeah. such a little bit of training. If they had just some better sure. training, I think we would be in a yeah. different world altogether. What are your thoughts? Well, it's, it's always interesting to me when I see salespeople that mm-hmm. that that is their profession. That's how they make a living for themselves and their families. That's going to affect generations of family members to come. Let's just be real. It's a butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. How little time 
effort and money they put into their profession. If I'm a basketball player and I want to be a pro basketball player, well, guess what? They put in the time, they put in the resources, they put in the work, they put in the money, and that's why they're great. You know, Michael Jordan said, I was just reading one of his uh, books, and he talks about, uh, he, he said, he said, you can have, it doesn't matter if you want to be great at sports or basketball in life, especially in basketball, you can take a thousand jump shots a day, but if you have the wrong technique, you're not going to be any better than before. So you have to learn the right techniques, right? I see so many salespeople. We go to events. I ask salespeople in the room, like, how many of you bust your butt and work your butts off hard and work 10, 12 hours a day? Almost everybody raises their hand. Sure. And I say, okay, everybody uh, raise your hand again if you are making the amount of money you want to make as a salesperson. Hardly anybody raises their hand. Right. So you got to work hard. But I know so many salespeople that work their butts off, but because they don't have the right skills are completely broke, okay? Now, so you have to have a mixture of both. So when I first got into sales and I struggled in all this stuff, at the same time in college, my degree was human behavior and human psychology. So I started learning from my professors and all these books and conferences I went to, like how the human brain works and, and why people make decisions or don't make decisions. And I started to incorporate, how do I use human behavior in the sales process to get others to persuade themselves. That's where NEPQ, that's where I came up with it. Now it's been developed over many years. It wasn't perfect the first six months, okay? <clears throat> but what amazes me, so when, when I started doing that, I would spend hours a day. So I was in college. I was also working part-time in sales and I was developing the sales stuff that we're talking about, okay? I literally, that's all I did. I didn't go out with my friends. I didn't do all that stuff. I had a family, had a kid at that point. I was taking care of them, but I put in a lot of time. I'd get up at five in the morning. My first class was eight in the morning. I get up at five in the morning to study sales for about 90 minutes every single day, seven days a week, because I learned very quickly that it wasn't that I had a, maybe a cool haircut or my shoes are really cool. And that's why I sold sure. more or I have the strongest biceps. I mean, none of that matters. All that matters was I was just out learning everybody else in my company. All I was doing was out learning other salespeople. And that's why I eventually became the number one salesperson in the country in those industries. Okay. It's because I simply put in the time to out learn everybody. It's not like I work 24 hours a day. And that's why I sold more. I worked the same amount of hours today. I just had better skills. I had higher conversions. I talked to less people and sold more than anybody else. So it's about learning the right skills and then going out and working hard with those skills. That's what greats like Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Elon Musk and you know the founder of Amazon, all the greats in business and sports and anything great in life, they learn the right skills, then they go out and work hard at those skills to become perfected. And it, it amazes me. I read an article in Forbes the other day that the average salesperson in North America, get this, spends less than $50 a year on sales training. And then they wonder why they're not Incredible. making very much money. Incredible. <laughs> I, I spent yeah. tens of thousands of dollars to sure. get where I was at. 
Uh, you put in the time, the effort, and this is what I, I try to ignite the fire and especially the, the young generation. Yeah. You know, uh, bottom line is you got to pay to play. You know, if yeah. you want to get the best instruction out there, you want to get the best coaching, you got to drop some dollars. You, you got to, yeah. you have to invest in yourself. Yeah. You know, if you want to be part of a, of a program that is, uh, you know, that you can rub shoulders with others that are successful, sure. that are at a higher level, you got to pay to play. That's yeah. the bottom line. You will never get where you want to be in life by winging it and trying to figure out everything on your own. You have to get with the right trainers, the right mentors who've already done what you're wanting to do. Don't hire somebody that's not. I see so many people in any type of training out there, a bunch of coaching that had one halfway decent year. Now they're the expert. Okay. Oh, yes. You want to be with somebody that has a long track record. That's been doing it for a long time. That has success every single year. There's something that they're doing. That's right. That's going to get you where you're wanting to go. That's in marketing. That's in sales. That's in business. That's in anything. You don't want to hire an amateur. That's not going to help you that much. Those are good words for you young folks out there that are listening to this uh, podcast. You know, you got to start investing in yourself. Uh, take it from a gentleman right here that has, you know, risen to the top by working hard, but he also has invested a shitload of money. I guarantee you that. Uh, talk <laughs> and we to me still about do, you know, we still yeah. do like our company, we still invest in different trainings in mm -hmm. different subject matters to take our company to a higher level, because we know if we don't, we're just going to digress and go backwards. We're not willing to do that. No. We're on a mission to help as many people as we can. And we have to be educated and have the knowledge to be able to do that to the, to the most effective uh, power we can. Right. Well, one of the philosophies that we live by is an old samurai philosophy, which has been incorporated by Toyota and some of the very powerful companies um, over the last 30 to 50 years is Kaizen, yeah. right? It's constant improvement. Mm. Uh, every single day you're improving yourself and getting better and, um, and hacking away at the unessentials, things that 100%. are weighing you down. So. Yeah, I see so many salespeople that even make low six figures that have ma such massive egos that they mm -hmm. never are able to learn more advanced skills and training that would double and triple or quadruple that income because they're so prideful and they think they know everything because they make low six figures. When I was in sales, making multiple seven figures a year as a W-2 salesperson, straight commission, no salary, even at the pinnacle of my career, I was still reading three books every single month, 36 books a year, three books a month, 36 beer, year after year after year after year. And people say, why do you put in so much time? Well, because I'm not going to be second place. If I want to be first, if I want to be the best at what I do, I have to outlearn everybody else. I still do that. When I drive down the road, I don't listen to Britney Spears, although her music's probably good, or I don't listen to the newest, latest, greatest song that my kids want to listen to. I'm learning to something that's developing my skills better as in business, in sales, and whatever we need to learn. I'm listening to that, educating myself. I'm making my car like a university on wheels. And if you're a young person listening to this, let's say you're 20, 21, 22, 23, you have so many years. Turn off the radio. CNN is not going to make you that much money or Fox News. I'm sure they're great networks, but they're not going to make you a lot of money. You know, listening to your greatest, you know, uh, hit singles of the day is not going to make you very much money. Educate yourself in what you want to go into and use your car as a university of wills. Read one, two, three or plus books every month. And don't just read them, study them. 
take what you're learning. It's one thing to read. It's another thing to actually apply it and write notes and do that. And I guarantee you, you're going to be successful, whatever you want to do, if you put in the time to gain that knowledge. Yeah, Jeremy, that is a, that is a monster point. One that I preach daily. Um, I have always read uh, since I was 15 years old, there has been not one night, uh, not one night that I don't sit and read and highlight books. Yeah. I have, uh, I have thousands of books that I have read and, That's and, awesome. and probably I want to say four or 500 that I've read multiple or three times. Yeah. Um, and I've done this for years and years and I'm a big, big promo proponent of reading and studying, yes. but more importantly, you mentioned the key element there, which is highlighting books, actually yeah. implementing and integrating what you learn from a book into your life. Yeah. And, you're, and it's huge because people read books all the time yeah. and they'll, they'll read them. Oh, I read that book. And what was it about? Well, you know, a couple of things, but they don't implement anything. <laughs> they just went through too fast. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I agree. So those are great, man. Those are great points that you're, you're making. I love that. All right. So talk to me about where people can reach you um, yeah. on social media. Uh, yeah. I know you have a book coming out. So give me a little bit of input yeah, on that. Yeah, we got a book that I'm co-authored with uh, Jerry Acuff. He's the CEO of Delta Point. Um, the, it's called The New Model of Selling, How to Sell to an Unsellable Generation. It'll be out this fall, late fall. Uh, probably the best place, like if you're uh, people listening to you want to learn more about training, what we do, all that stuff is just to join our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group where people can just join for free. It's called Sales Revolution. Um, I actually emailed you the link to your assistant. So just go to Facebook Sales Revolution with Jeremy Miner. You can join for free. Uh, myself, our vice president of sales, our CEO, we go live in that group. It's a group of about 8,000 business owners and salespeople. We just started about eight months ago. It's growing nice. very rapidly. Nice. And we go live in there about three to five times a week with different tips, different trainings you can have access to. We even give you like little golden nuggets of, of more advanced trainings that are only in our courses that we release. So your people are welcome if they want to learn about what we do, whether you're a business owner a new entrepreneur or you're a sales professional or a coach or whoever you are, a sales leader, uh, just go to sales revolution. Like I said, you've got the link if you want to post it and they can join that for free. Absolutely. And uh, so in social media, what's your, uh, what are your tags on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I don't do much on there. I think we have like 30,000 followers, but I never do anything on there, but that's Jeremy Lee minor. So Jeremy okay. Lee minor, M I N E R. So you can follow me on Instagram. Obviously, you can follow me on Facebook, on Facebook, Jeremy Miner. We do a lot on Facebook. And then you can find me underneath Jeremy Miner, M-I-N-E-R on LinkedIn as well. But I would say Sales Revolution, that Facebook group is going to give them the best details about what we do for sure. Got it. Oh, man, you are definitely, uh, you bring a lot of wisdom to the table here. Uh, definitely a unique approach, something different that we're not used to hearing. Uh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy what you're what you're all about. You know about this. Uh, you know, uh, you know, men kind of getting away from from what is the what's the term now? Masculine toxic. Yeah, toxic masculinity. Yeah, I saw you on Newsmax. That's what you know. When I when I saw this man being on this podcast, I'm like, I think I just saw that guy on Newsmax. And I don't even hardly watch the news, so I was like, you know, it's a small world. But I agree. You know, if you know, whether you're, you know, cause I'm all about women empowerment. I've got four girls and I'm like, Hey, you know, like, you know, you go out there and you just perform and you're going to, you're, you know, 
you outperform men or women, it doesn't really matter. You just show your skills and learn skills. You're going to be great. But especially for men, like men need to do that as well. Like if you want to be a great provider for your family, guess what? You can be. Right. All you have to do are learn the right skills. So if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, a coach, salesperson, you learn the right skills and you're going to make a great living for your family. You're going to be a role model to your community, to your church or whatever you do. And people are going to want to emulate that. And that affects your children. It affects their children. It's all a butterfly effect based on you learning the right skills or not learning the right skills. Success is really just a choice when it all comes down. To Absolutely. It. No, no doubt about it. It is a choice and, and I'm in agreement. I mean, every man out there right now has the opportunity to be a provider yeah. uh, and step up. Problem is this mediocrity is killing our society. We don't deal. I, I with hate media. I hate, I hate, I hate, the, that the, I hate the trophy, the participation trophy, yes. man. I'm like, you know, my son like was just excel. He just, he's a great football player. He's, he's 14 going into ninth grade. And mm -hmm. I remember back in flag football, they started doing these participation trophies. And I'm like, dude, my son just scored like six touchdowns this game. And then everybody gets a touchdown. Like, what is that teaching everybody else? So you sure. don't really have to perform. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to train. You don't have to learn skills like my son's learning. You're going to get a trophy anyways. I'm like, sure. that is the last thing we want to teach people to do. Uh, we're in alignment there for sure. All right, brother, thank you for being on. And um, definitely what I would love for you to do is um, – when we we're going to put this out there, we're going to put this on our new YouTube page. We're going to put this pretty much all across social media. People need to know who you are. Uh, when I get out there, uh, I'll be referring you some, some, some people for sure, sure. because uh, I think that you have what it takes and it's a very unique approach. Uh, I like your style, man. Thank you for being on. I appreciate hey, very, it. Very kind words. A big fan of yours. So thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. Thank you. What a powerful conversation with Jeremy Miner. Listen, if you did not listen to the entire podcast, you need to back it up. There was some great, great advice, wisdom across the board. If you are in the business world, you got to listen to this. Integrate what you learn in podcasts to your life, right? That's, I've always said that, right? Don't be that guy that listens to a podcast and then moves on and doesn't integrate anything. This is about learning and applying what you learn. All right, my brothers, do me a favor. If you enjoyed it, if you got something out of it, please subscribe. All right, subscribe to this YouTube channel or subscribe to um, Spotify or Apple Podcast or leave a review. All right, do that favor for us because we're working hard specifically to bring you this type of solid content. All right, guys, until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.